So welcome to the CEO huddle and um, today I'm delighted to be joined by uh, somebody I would call a friend and somebody I uh, respect highly um, and you don't meet many people in, in life and business that you do so I'm, I'm really thrilled that he's here and uh, Nimesh Akauri who is the Chief Growth Officer of WNS. We'll talk about what WNS do. So Nimesh, thank you for being here and um, great to see you. Thank you, Peter, and thanks for the kind words. Well, I mean them. <laughs> so <laughs> so and we'll get into why as well, not just kind words. Sure. So um, let's, let's talk about lockdown, which is obviously on everybody's mind, but more so linked to the business. So WNS is what they call a business process outsourcer. So for yeah. people who don't understand that, um, you kind of do things, be it voice or any other channel, for businesses that don't want to do it themselves. Is that right? Uh, I would put it a little bit differently. Uh, if, 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 I, if I can. Of course. Okay. Uh, see, the, the BPM sector, when it started off, uh, about, I would say about 25, 30 years back, on, or the turn of the century, at that time, the BPO sector was largely about labor arbitrage or cost arbitrage. Yeah. So, so basically it was mess for less, okay? Which means that the banks, the manufacturing companies, the, the financial institutions, including insurance companies, et cetera, they would, they would just want to uh, get rid of their, uh, you know, expensive work being done out of high cost locations yeah. and would ask uh, companies like us to move them to low cost locations and effectively, uh, would, would reap the benefit of getting the work done at 30, 40, 50% cheaper costs. And in my NTL days, I did that. So yeah. we took people from um, Swansea, Manchester, <clears throat> Glasgow, and we put them offshore because it was yeah. cheaper. Yeah. Then, then the industry started evolving uh, and then effectively around uh, the back end of the financial crisis, which happened in, and, and by the way, the first, the first or, or the time when the BPO industry really started was when the time the, when the inter internet bubble happened or when the e-commerce bubble happened or thereabouts. Uh, there were a lot of captive centers which were set up by, you know, for example, in our case, British Airways set up its captive in India. Uh, GE set up its captive in, in India as well and, and other places. The, the key driving factor was availability of talent at a better cost, uh, you know, at a better cost proposition. Uh, the second inflection point happened literally around the, the financial crisis, which is when the, the evolution happened towards being a value provider, which means that it was not just about labor arbitrage, but it was also about how would you make my work leaner and meaner and better and, and, and make it more productive in terms of the output which, which it is giving back to us and back to their clients, the client's clients, so to speak. Mm. So that's when, that's when a lot of uh, thinking went into not doing the work just cheaper. I mean, you know, cheap, doing the work cheaper actually took a very back seat doing the work better and, and, and bringing in a lot of expertise in terms of domain knowledge, in terms of capability, which, which, was, which was driving the, uh, you know, activities like finance and accounting and, and 
CIS, which is customer journey management or contact center, as you would call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, things like research analytics evolved from there because, because insights and analytics became a key driver. And then slowly the industry kept moving towards, uh, towards a point where platform-driven uh, services became, uh, you know, became the de facto barometer of a success of a BPO company. And now we are experiencing a third inflection point. From here onwards, it is going to be all about tech-led IP or IP-led BPO services, which means that organizations like ours, which has got either its own IP or partnering with the, with the technology companies and, 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 and creating our own IPs in the process, and then putting it in the front, uh, front of the of the BPO activities to, to drive effectively the changes. So for example, if let's say if there's an insurance company where we are where we are chosen as a partner to to reform or uh, you know change the way they work, they, they do their claims processing, our task is not just to move the bodies to a lower cost location. Our task is to first infuse technology and platform and bring about the effective changes. And then at the back end of that, see what is what what more can be done and a part of that could be to move work to achieve cost location so that's that's how it has evolved effectively okay and is there a tension there in that you're effectively making things more efficient so that reduces your revenue too yeah it is it i mean look it's not uh, it's not cannibalization of revenue or it's not dilution of revenue which 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 companies like us are worried about because if we don't transform, if we don't digitize, if we don't reinvent, then you and if you don't innovate in a in a in a in a in a, in a summation, mm. then you are effectively becoming uh, well, you're you're becoming ineffective for the client. The client is not looking for somebody to provide bumps on the seat. The client is looking for somebody to transform their business and take it to the next level because you have to help them compete better in the market. And if you are not the partner who will help them compete better, in, in any case, it's not dilution of revenue. It's you, you will have zero revenue from the client in no time because the client doesn't, wouldn't see you as a strategic partner. They will view you as somebody who is just fleecing the client. Well, I use the word fleecing because just giving a low cost, uh, just being a low cost service provider is no value to the client because you know, they're, they're, still, they're, they're still doing the same business the same way but effectively the partner is not coming in and giving them innovative ideas in terms of how to do it better and not helping them transform. Don't mistake it with the, don't mistake it with what the strategy consulting companies do because we are not into strategy consulting, but, but we are into business consulting and business transformation to help them do better in the market. That is where the, the companies look at us and dilution of revenue and cannibalization of revenue in some shape or form happens, but then it compensates itself by, by us being a strategic partner of the client and doing more work for them than a specified amount of work which gets me the revenue today. Right, now there's an interesting point there, um, and this is not to plug my book, Camel in the Tent, which I know you enjoyed. <laughs> but the point is though, the, the Camel in the Tent philosophy is that if you can't get in and you want to force your way in, you get stopped. So you have to put your ears in first and then the nose and then suddenly you're in the tent. So it seems to me 
that you did a you did a perfect camel in the tent strategy because when you started out it was all about cheaper because that's the only way you could get in the tent wasn't it you couldn't get in the tent with quality at that time i presume yeah no look selling cheap is it never works really peter i mean i mean i'm not talking about just our business or our sector but in any at any point in time you may face in any any sector you may face some instant success by selling cheap right mm -hmm. because some of the some of the clients would find it very attractive to 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 do a cost comparison between a somebody like us for example who provides value but at a but at a premium and somebody who provides just cheap you know, cheap cheap services the the client base is 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 you know is generally hugely smart and they 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 come to know very quickly even if they have done a mistake by choosing the cheapest service provider that they have done a mistake uh look we are all we all live in a practical in the practical world in the practical world what happens is that there are client negotiations which happen mm -hmm. and that's bound to happen because the client would want to to see uh how much how much more they can extract value from you but clients also realizes that beyond a point if they keep negotiating uh, negotiating you down and to the bottom of the barrel they will not get the value which they should be expecting so you know i, I think i think selling cheap is not something which any any company's philosophy should be uh, no no company should adopt that philosophy it should be always selling on value and then of course you have to be you have to you have to be confident in terms of presenting and, and positioning why you commanding a premium because of the value which you which you drive with the client's uh, organization yeah and um I, I had some access to wns a while back which is when we met and i was always struck by the fact <clears throat> that it had a very clear vision and one was that um it was very focused on margin so it wasn't revenue for vanity's sake and unlike most businesses it it was very focused on what it was it was it was yeah it's got a clear identity hasn't it you don't move around and i think that applies to you as a person i think you know you've got a very strong culture you know who you are yeah and you don't you don't waver around just on the because of the environment how does that manifest itself so how does how did wns which is a very successful business i mean you got 40 odd thousand people or or whatever um how do you keep that definiteness of purpose as you scale to where you are now see culture is always uh culture is driving a culture in the company is always leadership responsibility and especially the ceo's responsibility and we have been extremely lucky to have a ceo uh who is unwavering in his belief who is unwavering in his uh in his thought process who drives the entire organization in believing in in themselves that fine i mean you have you have hit a bump or or you have hit a uh, which is always temporary hitting a bump is always temporary in my in my view because you know you hit a bump only to learn and learn more from the from the losses to effectively come back stronger right but the but 
a company or a leadership which starts wavering when it hits a bump, it, it, gives, it, it, you know, it gives way to the fact that the leadership never really had a vision. The leadership never really thought or believed in the vision which it, which it crafted in the first place. Mm. If you have thought through your vision, if you have thought through where, what you stand for, and if you craft it by, by taking into consideration all the pluses and minuses which you will encounter on the journey, then you will, you will, have, you will have unflinching support from not only your own conscience, but unflinching support from people who surround yourself with, right? And they will marry into the vision and they will, they will effectively carry it forward for you. You just have to make sure that the people remain within the framework. And as long as you, as you are capable of doing it, the company will just chug along. That's, that's the way it works, really. Mm. It's easier said than done because a lot of times, uh, you know, you have to do a lot of, uh, for lack of better word, you have to do a lot of hand-holding for somebody who has come in from an external world, joined the organization, is very talented, understands the market very well, but who is taking time to buy into your vision. And that's when, that's when, that's when people like us spend inordinate amount of time with that talent to help him or her understand why we stand, what we stand for. And once they see through, once they understand it fully, and once they start implementing it, then they see it for themselves. And, and it's magic, actually. I mean, I, I've myself experienced this. I mean, I've, I've built a team, which is a, which is a quite a sizable team in Europe for, a, for the last 10 years. And uh, I've myself experienced this in my, in the, in the last 10 years in terms of building and making sure that a team gets it in terms of what they stand for. I have hit bumps. They have hit bumps. All of us have hit bumps. But given the, given the unwavering uh, belief in our vision and belief in what we are doing has withstood the test of time. And today, today I can, I'm proud to say that there is not a single employee in WNS who would, have, who would effectively not understand what the vision is. And it's largely driven by the CEO's organization, by CEO himself, because he has, he has crafted the vision and he has done an exceptionally good job in terms of, of inseminating the vision down to the bottom most of the organization. So do you think that you have to be a certain type to come in? So I look at, um, say, Manchester City and now Liverpool. So I think if you, if you want to be a player in those teams, you've got to be a certain type. Whereas five, ten years ago in Liverpool, they'd sign you know, somebody who could get 20-odd goals but might be the wrong culture. And it's very clear that um, the shift in those two teams is because the manager has a very clear vision who he wants to come in. So do you, do you think that there has to be a type of person that fits WNS? Or do you think that you can not make them fit, but mould them to fit? It's a combination of both, Peter. I mean, uh, first of all, you, you know, I would not say that anybody and everybody will fit in WNS because, see, there's, there's one thing about, I mean, first of all, it's a performance-driven company. It's a, it's, it, it thrives on performance. It makes sure that people understand that there is, there is nobody who has, who has gotten a new advantage uh, for any reason. Anybody who is performing is, is, is fettered in the company. 
anybody who is not performing is given a chance to improve upon the performance and then eventually he or she decides if he wants to fit in the culture or not so the culture is very very performance driven uh, there's we have a circle of values which you know of already and that people who who understand the circle of value they effectively are able to adapt and change their uh, or rather i'll use your word mold themselves into the wns ways of things very quickly there are some people who take a little bit more time into into adapting to the circle of values of wns and getting in, getting to know the company but once they know what we stand for and once they know what what we are believe me it's very difficult for people to to effectively leave the company i mean i've i've had colleagues in 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 uk and europe who have been here for 7 8 10 years now mm-hmm. and and in a sales role anybody who has been for 7 8 10 years even understand it's not very it's not very easy because because we we make sure that you know those those people they or, or those colleagues of mine they not only are doing uh, regular run of the mill work but they're they're doing something which is cutting edge right and that that drives them that drives them that makes them believe that this is the this is the company they want to be associated with and this is the company which they want to work with so our circle of values which are client first integrity respect collaboration learning and excellence that is our guiding factor that is what drives us um, and how much impact do you think your culture has in all this so i mean i mean your culture in the um you know it 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 it, it began as an an indian based business and and you know you you have attributes that that make you you know you work very hard um i was interested in kishev who's the the ceo um he put gandhi's quote up on twitter which i loved and i thought this is he didn't there's a reason that he put this up and i wondered whether this was how wns saw themselves where gandhi says first they ignore you then they laugh at you then they fight you then they win now without making too much of a point of it that is not a british thing we we don't the british people don't think that they're going to be ignored and then laughed at and then they don't think anyone's going to take them on um and then they assume they'll win hence why the empire doesn't exist anymore isn't that interesting because that that is really a cultural difference isn't it yeah ignore ignore the 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 cultural nuances for a moment uh let me let me address your question in the following manner when you set out doing something which is different when you set out doing something which is which is which rates very high on ethics when you set out doing something where you are not compromising on your values no matter what when you set out doing something where where you you know you are you are accepting and where you are uh, you know uh, where you invite people into the family uh, in a in a completely different way right where you where you invite people you are not a mercenary you don't want people to just go out and and do a certain job and then they have got they have just got a badge number on their on their on the shirt slip right so 
we, we never stand for all those things. And, and hence, you are completely different as an organization. You are an organization where people aspire to work for. And in a, in a, I mean, again, in a small way, because we are not a, how, how do I say, we are not, a, we are not yet a, a large organization like you hear about G's and the Walmarts of the world. But, the, but the, you know, the big trees are born out of acorns, as we all know, right? So when you're, a, when you're an acorn, that's when you imbibe all these values and cultures and value systems, etc. And that's when people will, will have a tendency of sneering at you and saying, you, oh, you're small, but you're acting like a big boy, right? Oh, you're, you're just born, but you're acting like a mature person, right? Yeah. Oh, you, 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 have, you do the same thing which we do, but, but you act and behave as if you are, you, you, know, you are much better than us. So these are, the, these are the, I'm just paraphrasing, these are some of the comments which, which we have experienced along the way, right? Yeah. And, that, and that's, but, but when, you, when you constantly, and, and going back to my previous, uh, to, to the answer, to, sorry, to the answer which I gave to your previous question, when you believe in your value systems, when you believe in your strength, that collectively we are a force which, which we can take on anybody in the world, simply because your, your base and your foundation is so strong, then, you know, sky is the limit for you. And we are actually on that path right now. We have, we have, we have, we have miles to go before we, uh, before we even think of blinking. And, and hopefully we will be uh, out of this pandemic very quickly and we will be, uh, you know, back into, into what we were doing earlier. But even now, we, have, we, we are the first organization which has completely changed the way we, we work in the market. And we have been on the forefront in terms of taking care of our employees. Taking care of your, taking care of our clients, and making sure that none of the clients and none of the employees are affected, despite the fact that the entire world is affected. So it's a huge achievement as far as we are concerned from that perspective. So how how did you do that when you you effectively you've got people all over the world in state of the art um, centers? I presume they're all closed right now. Yeah, well, in some of the some of the countries, the the centers are uh, have allowed. Uh, you know, people to come back in trickles. So not the entire work population, but let's say 20%, 30%, 10%. But we are, we are being overcautious and we are, we are very, very careful because of course employees come, come very high in terms of employees, sorry, employee safety come very high on the, on the list. Uh, we have adapted to the new, new ways of working very well. Our clients have been very supportive uh, because, you know, they, they know that we are doing the right thing and hence we have we have cautiously brought, brought back some people in our centers, but at the same time, we have made sure that everybody who are working from home is being as productive as they can be to make sure the clients are, are taken care of. So we are, we, are in a, we are in a good spot from that perspective, Peter. So home working is something that has never really worked. You know, it's never taken off greatly in, in terms of customer service. Do you think that there is a new model? Do you think there's a new normal that people will work from home? Yeah. I think, I think at least for the foreseeable future, or, or even, even beyond the foreseeable future, I think uh, home working will have, uh, the, the percentage might vary because the, the, it will depend upon the kind of work which, which is being delivered to the client. But home working will, will have, uh, you know, again, as I said, percentage would, would vary, but a significant amount of workforce for all organizations 
will have uh, an element of homeworking in, inculcated in their entire ways of working because that's there's no denying the fact that uh, even the clients want to see how many people will be working from home as far as uh, as far as the, the delivery of work is concerned and that that's that's good also as well because you know you tap into a different set of talent when you when you have the work from home uh, concept inculcated into your business into your business then you actually tap into a different kind of talent who actually want to work from home and it's convenient for them to work from home so in terms of selling well you are the 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 chief growth officer but i also noticed that on your twitter you are son brother dad and chief growth officer now i want to make the the, the same point about the business really most people they 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 are their title and you can't get away from that you know the first thing people do is is ask what you do and if you if you're chief of something then you're more important um but yours is on the end <laughs> because to you um you're not you nimesh is not chief growth officer he's he's a bunch of things isn't he yeah it's it's very important so again it it is it is uh, it is a cultural thing uh, and it's WNS culture thing we 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 want our people to make sure that they are very involved with their fam respective families right because one thing which i've noticed peter not just WNS i mean i worked in multiple countries i worked in the us i worked here i worked in india i worked all over the world uh, one thing i've noticed that people who have got uh, a relatively happier family life are more productive at work. That, that's, that's my, that's my, you know, uh, how do I say conclusion, or that's my, that's my summary of whatever I've learned as far as family is concerned. People who have, who are unhappy on the family front, it has a direct impact on, on the, on your productivity at work. So my personal thrust, for the for the people with whom I work with colleagues, my and my and my, you know, staff, my thrust has always been that you sh your family comes first. Your, if you're if you're if you're neglecting your family for your work, then you're doing it completely the wrong way. Your family comes first. If you have to take time off to spend time with your family, don't even think, don't even bat an eyelid. Do that. Because then only you will be more productive at work. If you if you sacrifice family life and continue focusing just on work, you you will you will you will be the least productive of the lot. That's what my that's what my theory is. So if you if you speak to my colleagues, uh, you know here in, in UK or, or anywhere in Europe, my you know they, everyone will say the same thing that I have been very focused on allowing them or asking them rather forcing them to spend more and more family time, and I. I, I practice what I preach. So I, I although it's difficult, although in the, in, the, in the last three months that I've been at home, I've had the maximum family time with my, you know, with my with my wife and daughters. But usually, since I'm traveling a lot, I spend less less and less time with them, and I crave for it that I, if I can get, spend more time with them, I'll be I'll be more happy. Uh, and and I can imagine that that other people also have similar cravings. And, and I, hence, I, hence, I encourage them to spend more time with the family than at work. Yeah. But, you know, at the end of the day, what are you working for? You're working for your family. You're not working for any other reason, right? Yeah. yeah. 
And the reason that we're talking about this is because it it's not normal. So if you see, you know, most most businesses, um, I, I think they're not quite sure about the values. I think they do waver around. I think if you see people on trains traveling, um, they're maxed out, they're stressed, they don't look well, uh, they're going home late. So that's why I, I think it's important to talk about it because you, you, you talk about it like it's normal, but yeah. the other side is, is more common, isn't it? Um, which, is, which is why I think people should take notice and, and spend more time on that. So I'm interested in Emily, just, just on that subject, Peter, sorry if I can say one more thing. Look, if, if, you, if you don't have a healthy family life, and if you're not healthy yourself, in terms of your well-being, in terms of your mental health, physical health, and on all combined, then all the titles in the world are useless for you. They're completely useless for you. I mean, I can be, I can be what I am. I'm a chief of something, <laughs> but but I've completely sacrificed my physical health and my mental health. I mean, you would be surprised to know how much mental health problem is there in the in the world right now. Yeah. Right, and it's not driven by work. It's not driven by work. It's driven by the fact that you're not getting along with your wife. You're not getting along with your partner. You're not getting along with your husband. Your 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 daughter is is not you know is not doing what you want her to do. Your son is a renegade, and and several things combined together. And it we want to think that we are very strong and we we are shock absorbers of the family and we can take everything in our stride. No it affects you so poorly that you're, you don't even know. And then sooner, sooner or later, you will break down. Yeah. And I think it goes back to uh, this thing about being certain who you are, Nimesh. I think those things come along because we often compromise, don't we? I, I think, I say to my two girls, I think the worst thing is seeking approval and not being yourself to fit somebody else's agenda. And I think growing up, especially now with, um, you know, online and Instagram, that they're so influenced that it's very hard for them to say, well, this is me. And this is why I respect you so much, because you, you are sure who you are. And I think so many people try to be somebody else just to fit. No, that's completely wrong. That's completely wrong. You, you just have to be yourself. And, and if you're doing the right things, Peter, if you're doing the right things, not only from a work perspective, but from a, from a family perspective and from your health perspective, there's, there's one thing which, I, which, you know, which a lot of people don't believe in, but I, I strongly believe in, is you, know, you drive your own destiny. Destiny doesn't drive you, right? A lot of people say, oh, it's destined to happen. It'll happen, right? No, it doesn't work like that, mate. <laughs> you drive your destiny. If, you, if you'd want yourself to, to be you know, some, something which you have in your mind. And if you work towards that, you will get there eventually. It may not happen in 2020, but it'll happen probably in 2022. It'll happen. Yeah. But if you, if you think that, oh, it's destined to happen, then it's, nev it's never going to happen. It's, yeah. It'll never, never, never happen. Yeah. I think one of the saddest things is when somebody says, well, when I win the lottery, I'll... Yeah. Think, no, no. <laughs> I will, I, will, I will buy a big house. I'll have a swimming pool. I'll have this, yeah. that, and that. That's rubbish. I'll get fit. 
There's a, there isn't there a, isn't there a very interesting book? I mean, is it Anne Ryan's book, the, the Atlas Shrugged or something, which says that when you when you uh, really work very hard towards your 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 goal or your aim, the nature conspires to get it to you. Something like that. It goes. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, um, what motivates you now, then, Yamesh? So you you you've been very successful and you've got you've got a, a great life. What 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 keeps you going? What what inspires you? Leaving, leaving, a, uh, giving back to the society. That's that's what that's what uh, really keeps me going. And 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 I don't think, well, you know, I don't want to say it in a in a less in, in any less humble way because it's true that God has been kind and I've been I've been able to reach where I've been able to reach. But there is still a lot more to be achieved as far as my life is concerned. I'm still relatively young, so <laughs> so you look, you look very young. I I can I I I think I've got uh, probably about 10, 11 years in me, or maybe twelve years in me to to keep going the way I've been going at the same speed and the same velocity and the same momentum. Uh, probably after 10, 12 years, I will slow down a little bit and and land up into doing more of uh, you know more of a relaxed uh, jobs. But uh, anyway, the, dri the key driver why I want to keep going is not to not to earn lots of money or not to have fancy houses or not to have drive fancy cars. But the key the key driver is to give back more to the society, and that's a that's that's a honest truth. That the more I attain for myself, the more I would be giving back to the society. That's that's what I that's what I strongly believe in. And what would you say to the twenty year old Nimesh? Live your dreams. Live your dreams. Don't restrict yourself. Yeah, that's true. Because because a lot of people, uh, there, there are two, three categories of youngsters which I see these days. One category of young, youngster which is clueless. Clueless as in completely clueless. Uh, they are in a danger zone because life is short. You know, because soon you will be jumping into your 30s. And by the time you blink your eyelid, you'll be in your 40s. And then time would be behind you. The second category of people, of youngsters I see are, who are clueless at this moment, but they know where they have to get to. Those are the kinds who are real talent. Hmm. Not the kinds, and the third category of, of the youngsters which I see are that who are very bookish in nature, right? They will be, they will have a lot of, they would have read a lot of books, they would have, you know, got all the A stars and things like those, but they would not have the understanding of the practical world, right? The second category of people are the dangerous ones where you will find a lot of emerging entrepreneurs and, and people, emerging leaders. Yeah. Those, are, those are the category of people who will go on to become CXOs of the, of the, of the world. So, do, you think, do you think, I mean, I'm not sure what we can do about the first cat category. Do you think the second category, do you, well, what, what do you think about mentors? Like, it, I think most people at some stage, they meet somebody who changes the way they think or takes them under their wing. Um, and I think, you know, clearly in your business, um, Kishev is, is a, is a inspirational guy. Do you think that mentors make the difference? They do. They do. And, and, and it need, need not be a structured mentorship. For example, uh, for me, I have taken a lot of inspiration. I've, I've watched Keshav very closely. I've worked with him for 20 years now. Uh, 
there was never a formal relationship between him and him and me as a mentor and a mentee. But then I've observed him very closely in terms of what he has done and how he has done what he has what he has done. Uh, I, I cannot follow his path because everybody's path is different and everybody's, you know, uh, to use the word loosely over here, everybody's destiny is different, right? Yeah. But you learn a lot from somebody when somebody is doing all the things right and and try to try to shamelessly copy it in terms of seeing how it can fit into into your scheme of things sometimes despite doing all the right things you may you may still not be as successful but that's all right you have done things the right way and and success and failure is a byproduct it will happen one day mm. but but to answer your question direct question yes i think mentorship in some shape or form is important and must be done yeah yeah so um, we're running out of time, Nimesh, and you and I have had a few meals together, but I want you to uh, imagine that you go to your favorite restaurant and you can take four people with you, alive or dead, that you'd like to enjoy a wonderful evening with. Who would the four people be that you choose? Oh, and, and, and it'll again go back to my previous the previous one of the previous answers it will all be from the family <laughs> i knew you'd say that it, it, and it's surprising it's it's a lot of people will start saying things like oh i would love to go with uh, uh, gosh you know yeah. john f kennedy or or or, or uh, uh, margaret thatcher or this they or do. that they do <laughs> I, I would not i would not i would like i would love to have a quiet dinner with my family and and again you know, it could be it could be a combination of my father, my wife, my daughters, my brother, or whatever it is. But it will be within the family. For me, family comes first. Period. Right. There is nobody else who can in the world can replace my family. And every I'm not saying that I'm not saying that anybody else doesn't have you know a space in my mind and in my heart. Yeah. All, I've got very dear friends, including yourself, right? Extremely dear friends with whom I would love to spend an evening. But if if I was if I was, if I was given a chance to have only one dinner right. before before I say goodbye to the world, <laughs> we'll be with the family. Right. So I'm not letting you get away with it. So the family dinner is happening. I want you to pick one person to come and do an after dinner talk to the family. Oh, it can't be me. <laughs> it can't be you. No. Okay. And they'll just they'll just come for half an hour to do a chat and le- and then leave. I I think it'll be Keshav. Oh, that's good. Yeah. As I said, as I said, I've learned a lot from him. If it is not you, because <laughs> uh, because he 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 doesn't he 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 doesn't he's I, I don't think he's he would ever ever want to be a motivational speaker or a anything like that but he motivates in his own ways and he and he, he relates to he relates to life very very nicely so so he, he yeah i would i would i would like him to come back if it's the last dinner which i'm having and some <laughs> somebody last who who will uh, somebody who will walk in and, and give a 20 minute speech yeah. it will be it will be him yeah brilliant great well nimesh um i've i've loved chatting to you and um i think i think now people probably understand why i said what i said at the beginning Okay, uh, you're a wonderful guy. Thank you. And, um, you, 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 you're one of life's proper guys. So, um, 
thank you. I, I sent you a message and said, Nimesh, will you come on a podcast? And you said, what's all this about? Yes, I will. And I'm delighted you did. Thank you. Thank you, Nimesh. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye.